In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We are here with part two of Ayahuasca Awakenings with the lovely Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester. For those of you who may not have yet tuned into volume one, I am going to ask Dr. Jessica to give us a quick rundown on what we covered on number one, and then we're going to move into number two. So Dr. Jessica, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself to the people who may not know you? And then maybe give a quick summary of what we talked about last episode. That would be my pleasure. Thank you again, George, for inviting me on your show. And we had such fun last time. I hope people have an opportunity to listen to it. And I'm looking forward to, um, you know, dialoguing with you today and talking about things that are really important to me. And I hope that other people find them and consider them, um, you know, significant to them and helpful to them. So um, I'm Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester. Uh, I'm the madrina of a Santo Domingo church I'm here in Montreal, Canada that I founded uh, 1996, 1997 after a, a trip to Brazil and um, felt the calling to connect and to bring the spiritual tradition here. I worked for 17 years with Health Canada up until 2017 to gain the legality, the recognition of our practice as being a uh, legitimate uh, tradition and the ability to import and serve our sacrament. So we're 25 years anniversary this year, five year anniversary of, of being licensed. And, um, you know, and God bless everybody who helped and supported through all of those years to arrive where we are now. I'm also an ordained interfaith minister with a doctorate in divinity. I'm a transpersonal counselor. I trained in the work of Dr. Roberto Asagioli, the Italian psychiatrist who developed an extraordinary process called psychosynthesis, which I encourage people to look into because it's absolutely one of the foundations in transpersonal psychology. I trained with Dr. Stanislav Grof, 
one of my great teachers in this lifetime, and um, a remarkable human being. And I'm I'm grateful, grateful for uh, the time that I spent with him then and continue to stay connected with him, of course, now. And so, um, you know, all that to say that Spirit directed me to write these books. Originally, I wrote it as one book. And then everybody said, 600 pages to maybe divide it up. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I can do that. So I sat and I prayed and I waited and I looked and it's like, oh yeah, it's already in four parts. So easy to do two and two and, and that's, that's how it goes. But consider it, everybody, kind of one book. And, and that really it's a study guide. This is not a novel. Okay, and this is not a, a collection of, of, you know, scientific research, although the books are both extremely well referenced and resourced. I, I point everybody in, in good directions, at least I think so, of the best places to look on um, beyond what I've written, uh, trying to really point people. That's where it's their guidebooks. They're trying to guide people. You want more of this? Here's where you look. You know, here's where the science is, here's where the resources are, here's where, you know, other books written specifically on this are, where you can find them. And and so they're guidebooks, as I said, they're, and it's not a collection of, of people's stories, although there's my story <laughs> read it throughout, because my editor said to me, no, 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 you got to put more you in there, because whenever you write about your personal experiences, it brings the material kind of more personal and more human, and people can relate to it a little bit. So... I ended up feeling kind of like I undressed and walked down naked down St. Catherine Street. For those of you who know Montreal, that's the main strip down the middle of the town. Um, but you know what? It, it is what it is. Um, unless we're willing to risk vulnerability, we don't risk. We we don't have the opportunity to see where that road will take us. And so, book one is about self-discovery. The books are called Ayahuasca Awakening, Volume One and Two. And the first one, you know, it's self-discovery, self-mastery, and self-care. And book one is about self-discovery and self-mastery that takes us into volume two, which is about self-care. And something I call the circle of wholeness, which hmm, I should have thought to maybe, the books are filled with diagrams because mm -hmm. I find diagrams are really helpful. And the circle of wholeness has a really great diagram to it because it's inclusive of everything. I, I have the books here if you want me to find the page and, and hold it up. But yeah, anyway. yep. that would be a good idea. I, I I drew one out, but I bet you the one you have is much better than the one that I've drawn oh, out here for yeah, my yeah. notes. Okay, <laughs> what I should have done was have the actual diagram set up. So um, let me see if I can actually find the page. So, um, but anyway, so page 100 or so, maybe. Yeah, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. Oh. Okay, while we're talking, I'm going to talk everybody. I think I know where things are in my book, page 90. <laughs> you were close, George. <laughs> okay. So there we go. For those of you. There we go. Yeah. Maybe okay. a little bit higher. A little bit higher? Closer? Um. Yeah, that's pretty good. A little, Just a smidge more higher, like a little bit above your head. Perfect. There we go. That way people can kind of zoom in and see the circle of wholeness and the circle of wholeness and self-care. That's right. Because everything, we all good? Pick yep, it down? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yep. Well done. So, so 
self-care, you know, so volume one is about self-discovery. It's about who am I and why am I here and what is all life about and, and what meaning does my life have and what's karma? Like, what is all of that? And reincarnation, is it real? Is it not real? Life between lives, life before life, life after life. So we take a good look at that and we look at the science of it and what's been written, what's been studied and researched about all of that. And then in part two in volume one, we go into the realms of the unconscious. And so all the maps, starting with Freud, going to mm. Jung, going to Sacioli, going to Stan Groff, the maps of the unconscious, the realms of the human unconscious, and how that oneness experience connects us right through from our personal unconscious to the you know family unconscious, to the national unconscious, to the human unconscious, to the Gaia unconscious, and to the collective unconscious. And so we are open on some level to all of these different realms and everything that's contained within them. And that is, I think, and I believe the root of our empathy and our intuition is because, you know, all these little synchronicities and mysteries and things that happen can only happen because somewhere deep inside of us, we're connected to the trees and the birds and the dolphins and the ocean and this cosmos and, you know, and maybe connected on levels that we certainly don't even understand. We can't maybe even put words to them. For example, we've only recently discovered, although certainly, you know, in science, some of them were figuring it out a lot earlier before they informed the general public. But, you know, and certainly Indigenous people, probably some of them knew this, okay? Mm -hmm. But they're only just discovering how trees talk to each other under the ground, okay? That there's a whole system, this incredible system of communication that goes on through fungi. And and this is all happening way beneath, you know, we think we, we take trees and we plant them and then we put, you know, as a solitary tree, as a beautiful specimen. And, and then we surround it by some pretty bushes or plants or something like that. And, and then we wonder why it doesn't live very long. Okay, because it's lonely. And we've taken it away from the forest. And it's not happy. It wants to be in the forest where everybody's, everything is cooperating and working together or you know maybe they fight too we don't know we haven't discovered that sure. <laughs> who know? I'm, I'm sure they do for <laughs> light and water yep. and, you know things like that anyway so that's volume one when we talk about uh, the dark realms the, the difficult passages uh, about mediumship and a lot of things that are going on that people who are who are working on the frontiers of, of psychedelic therapy and you know uh, because this is the thrust of the books is to try to help people who are working in entheogens and psychedelics outside of the traditional entheogen um, indigenous and heritage traditions, because in the indigenous and heritage traditions, you would be working with the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience passed on from teacher or whatever word we want to, let's use teacher and apprentice just as a simple basic model. Okay. And they, these would be passed down for generations and generations for the last few thousand years, if not longer. I mean, the human the human human race has been using uh, plants for sacred ritual, for divination, and for medicine and for healing. For we have records of it for tens of thousands of years. So we shouldn't 
assume that we know everything about it because we took a couple of things once and and yeah. now we kind of know or we did three mdma sessions and we think we understand okay we don't understand okay we cracked the door open we maybe saw a little glimpse of something and, and let's stay humble with this let's stay very humble with this and so here's the heritage traditions and in indigenous traditions who have these long-term apprenticeships and um, I was 14 years in my apprenticeship in the Santo Daini before our church became independent. I was 14 years under the mentoring and teaching and guidance of the elders, 14 years, until we reached a point where for a number of reasons we became an independent center. And so that's the depth of it. And in our tradition, we believe that you're still an apprentice until your last breath and possibly after that. And this is very Eastern and a very Eastern view, you know? And, and, uh, and, and, and so these books were, I feel like channeled as a way of trying to help this movement, to help the people who seem very well-intentioned and dedicated to, um, you know, serving to awaken consciousness. And and so I've been speaking in conferences, I've been trying to support, um, we did the first ayahuasca conference in Canada in 2019, worked on a project called Entheogens and Psychedelics in Canada, proposal for a new paradigm. I invite anybody in the field, please um, go on, on my website and, and take a look at that paper. It was uh, published last year, 2021 in the journal, uh, Canadian Journal of Psychology. And, you know, a chapeau to the team who worked on it um, in the committee. And, and so these books are, are kind of all in that same way of trying to offer um, uh, the knowledge and the wisdom that I received. And so I feel like I'm just a channel to pass on um, what great teachers have, have in their time and energy shared with me and all the things I went digging up and looking in my private practice for nearly 40 years. And again, thank you to all the clients who taught me so much by having the courage to do their own journey, having the courage to go diving inside. I did Stan Groff's work, his workshops for goodness how many year every month, circle of like 24 people for years and years and years, and the courage to go deep inside, and the courage to face themselves, the courage to grieve those things that mm. need to be grieved, the courage to, you know, find the strength to make the decisions and take the steps that they need to take in their life to arrive where their potential can take them. And the non-ordinary states of consciousness are are a a way of going deep whether you reach that through meditation through guided recession states uh, hypnosis uh, deep relaxed states um in so many different ways stan groff's holotropic breath work um you know the practice the true practice of yoga which is where i started in 1971 you know all that breathing boy that takes you into a non-ordinary state and you're going to have a lot of stuff come up for you and and so trying to use the wisdom of all the different um lineages that are available for us and so that's what I've tried to do in these books is, is bring that the East and the West and the North and the South together and offer people, hey, there isn't just one way of doing this and one way of looking. There's all these ways. So anyway, volume two, 
is about self-care and the circle of wholeness. And what is self-care? Well, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not going to be in very good shape to take care of anybody else. You're laughing. But I know, know I know the feeling. I've I've I have neglected myself and and turned out that I was no help to anybody. You know, yeah. and I, I can see it. And I, I I bet you everybody knows somebody who doesn't take care of themselves and they understand the relationship they have with that person. So that's that's why I was laughing. It's like I recognize that. Yep. And, 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 you know, that, that, you know, it's so easy in our culture to get distracted and, and to lose track of what's really important. And um, we were talking before the show started a little bit about boundaries. And, and so we're going to talk about boundaries in a couple of minutes, but what we're first going to do is what are those, I, I kind of call them the four pillars, you know, so there's self-awareness, these are the four pillars of self-care. There's self-awareness, there's self-love, there's self-respect, and there's self-responsibility. And, and these four pillars, if we're willing to look at each one of them, and it has to start with awareness. Mm -hmm. It just does. You know? And these are, again, very Eastern teachings, very Indigenous teachings that I am honoring and borrowing from and, 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 and sharing what I can is... The practice of awareness is the cornerstone of pretty much all practices. You know, you look at, at, at the Essenes, the early Christians, 2,000 years ago. What is their first, their first principle? The fathers of the desert, awareness. Awareness, awareness, awareness. You go into the East. What are all the, what is Rinchepe is going to teach you and the Guru is going to teach you? Awareness, awareness, awareness. Okay, and the thing is, is what we have to accept is there is no instant awakening. Um, it's like anything else; we have to work at it a little bit every day, every moment. There's no in, there's no place of enlightenment, uh, a place where we arrive and stay and live there and pitch our tent and decorate it. Um, it's a moment by moment activity, and so is awareness. And when we realize, we have to have a sense of humor too, George. Right? Absolutely. A sense of humor goes a long way, right? Huge. Yeah, when we realize that we fall asleep and wake up, you know, there was um, somebody had posted on, on the LinkedIn stream here. Uh, one of my colleagues, I guess, had posted about Ram Dass. It was an anniversary um, of, of Ram Dass. And, you know, if you look at his book, Be Here Now, didn't we all love it? I mean, I remember getting it hot off the press in, what was it, 1970 or 71, <laughs> something like that. And, and de devouring it and loving every word and every bit of it and it's all about awareness 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 and and how we fall asleep and we have to wake up and so you can look around you know a course in miracles fall asleep wake up and don't beat yourself up just wake up and mm -hmm. get walking again <laughs> and in our culture we're so self-punishing oh i ate that extra whatever it was fill in the blank whatever it is that you guys you know or i i did that again or you know and then self-flagellate and beat yourself up well, you know, and that takes you in a, in a shame spiral that then takes you to a more unhappy place and you have to comfort yourself. So you go and do, you know, what did John Bradshaw say once? It was so brilliant. I used to drink to try and solve the problems caused by drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so fill in the blank with whatever you do. I used, I work, uh, right. I, whatever it is that someone's doing, you know, you, fill it in and so awareness 
and being willing to breathe in the moment and understand and watch be, learning to watch the mind so we talk about first of all the mind okay and this is where everybody has to start the mind Sixty thousand thoughts a day that's research 90 percent the same as yesterday by the way don't get depressed 10 percent new thinking okay now and, and thought forms we all have thought forms mm. and, and those of us who work in non-ordinary states is one of the things the first things that the the dining will show us is our thought forms and our mind and our busy mental activity and all these little cogs and machines or you know and then how we repeat the same story over and over and over again you know i didn't like that film the first time i watched it and i didn't like how it turned out at all but why am i watching it and watching it and watching it and watching it okay or that book or whatever it is well we do the same thing with our thoughts you know and so awareness of our thoughts and the patterns of our thoughts and what's that i'm going to paraphrase everybody's quote quoted this from margaret thatcher on down but mm -hmm. we need to be mindful of our thoughts because our, our thoughts can become our beliefs and then our beliefs can become yeah. our words and our words can become our actions you know i'm paraphrasing right it's 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 longer than that but but this is real and and so awareness of our thoughts awareness of our feelings you know how many of us disown certain feelings you know women are taught anger bad fear okay damsel in distress sadness okay okay mm -hmm. anger bad okay being strong not good either okay and so men are taught the opposite anger good look strong okay fear bad not allowed to be frightened and so we disown certain feelings and and how do we come bring back all that wholeness where feelings are just feelings where thoughts are just thoughts they do, we don't have to become the feeling we can have the feeling we can feel the feeling oh anger okay what am i going to do with it so we have the feeling and then there's the awareness okay what am i going to do with this anger Anger needs action. Okay, let's take a little bit of time and breathe with the anger and just let it be like the river flowing and the current through its mm. stream bed. Let it be like the wind moving through the tree. I don't have to become the anger and then let darkness work through me, you know? I can be angry. And then what is the action I need to take? What are the words I need to speak? What needs to be done here? Sadness. Okay, I'm sad. What am I grieving? What's making me sad? It's not a bad thing that I have to shove down. It's a real thing. Okay. And, 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 and how do I support that in a way that I don't get too attached to it? Okay. Because that's, that's the tricky part is with thoughts and with feelings. How do we honor them, respect them, give them their place without indulging them? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Do you have a question around that? Yeah, so I, it, it brings up a couple points that I, that because I have read the book and I recommend everybody get the book. You will do a lot of learning. And some of, some of the points that I would add on to that was the idea of your thoughts as vibrations. And it's not so much the, the clarity, it, it's the quality of the thought that puts forth the vibration, which you get into you in your book. And then yes. when you talk about the ideas of, um, you know, these thoughts that we have, 
it brings up this idea about the river of life and that you're on this, you're in this boat. And if you don't understand that there's things you can control and things you can control, then you end up in a little eddy by the shore, just doing these donuts. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at, but maybe you could address the idea of vibrations and thoughts and then being in the boat on the current of life. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, my pleasure to talk about <laughs> things because I, I love all this stuff. Yeah, I noticed, and so it's a real joy to be with somebody who likes talking about these things as well. And hopefully, there's people out there who are enjoying listening. And and so yeah, that life is kind of a current, and we have our little boat. And 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 do we just let the current take us where, where the current of life wants us to. And then we dash up on the rocks and then we're, oh my God, look what happened to me. Okay. Or, or, or do we learn how to row the boat and how to put the sail up and let the wind catch the sail? And do we learn where the rocks are? So we learn to navigate around them. And, and do we learn where the current is a little too quick for us? And so we learn to go alongside of it. And so these are things that we can learn in life if we're willing to, but if we're just jumbling, bumbling through life in a, in a kind of stubborn way, a willful way or a fearful way, like I won't exercise my will uh, back to volume one, all about the will <laughs> Read the chapter folks deeply rooted in a Sagioli's work. Roberto Sagioli has done the best work on the will. I highly encourage you want to know what your will is all about. Read him, read the chapter in my book. And so we learn to activate our will. And so we learn to navigate in life. Now, no one should assume that this is going to, going to change the landscape. We're still in the year 2022 for the next couple of days, and it's going to be 2023. We're still, I'm still here in Canada. You're still here in Hawaii. So, I mean, navigating out of that, there's some things we can navigate out of difficult, unhealthy situations. Mm -hmm. Um, learning how to close doors to things that, that don't nourish our soul and don't care, uh, you know, respect our body and our being and our home and our life and our work. And so we learn how to navigate around those things and close doors to them. And those are all about healthy boundaries. Next chapter. Mm. Chapters down. So awareness brings us to awareness of our mind that they are vibrations. You've asked about that. What is that? Okay, so it's the intention behind. It's the intention. You can say to somebody, I love you, and they get that love vibration. And you feel it. Okay? You can say, I love you. Do you feel loved? <laughs> it's just words in the mouth. It's, there's nothing behind it. You know? Animals read our vibrations. Sure, they yeah. recognize words. <laughs> you know, walkies, out, winds, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, up, down. They recognize words, of course, but they're, you know, it's our intentions. They can read us. Rupert Sheldrake's work. Mm. We also know when their owners are coming home. Okay, everybody go out and buy that. That's fabulous. Yeah. Now, um, the thing is, is animals can read our mood. They can read our vibrations. You ever get into an, a, a crowded elevator? Not necessarily so crowded, but there's a few other people. You can tell in a nanosecond who's in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. They don't have to say one 
single word. They are vibrating. They're like Darth Vader, okay? They don't have to say a word. They don't even have to grab you around the throat, okay? <laughs> They're like the evil empire. They can get you across the room, okay? So vibrations are really powerful, and, and, and that's on us. What am I vibrating? What are my thoughts vibrating? And what is my heart? What is my kind of energy being? What am I vibrating? What am I vibrating? Am I vibrating peacefulness? Am I a channel for the, the qualities that I hold dear? Now, we're still human, which means we have our personality, which has its glitches, which means we have a, our dark side or our sharp edges or whatever you want to call it, you know. But that means more awareness. And it doesn't mean that those things are bad. It means that those things are just human. But it also means that we don't get to indulge it. Are you hearing those boundaries? Yeah? You're hearing yeah. those boundaries? That we can be aware of an, of an aspect of our personality, let's say, that's sharp. Let's say, let's choose an easy one that most people have, judgmental, critical. Yeah. Okay, this is a common one. Okay, so let's say our awareness, our practice of awareness leads to understand that we have judgmental thoughts that lead into critical words. Okay, you see thoughts, words, words. actions. Mm -mm -mm. And so then we decide, okay, I'm not happy with that anymore. That doesn't work for me in my life. I see how it's affecting relationships and I, I don't feel good afterwards when I do that. It's like a not good feeling afterwards. Okay, maybe there's a little power hit. That's what people are looking for. Mm. They're looking for that power hit, you know. But then afterwards, there's the letdown. And there's a not feeling very good. Okay. So how do, how am I going to change that? Okay, well, first, sometimes we have to start with the mouth. We have to learn to close the mouth. Okay. And the thought's trying to come. Okay. And it's trying to work its way into words and actions. But long, slowly breath, shake it off. And then we start learning to put something up here in our thoughts that is going to transform that. And that is where meditation, mantras, chants, prayers, affirmations, learn them, memorize them, and then you just drop that in the slot where the other thing used to be. Okay, you take out that old tape right. and you put this one new one in. And so when you memorize, you know, and whatever tradition you feel called to, there's no better worse tradition they all all the traditions have chants prayers mattress affirmations choose the ones that suit you i offer some kind of non-denominational ones in the books if someone wants a place to start and you just start there may i be at peace may my heart remain open you know this is buddhist adapted buddhist uh, so, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Hail Mary full of grace or Om Namah Shivaya. It really doesn't matter. It's what you have heart for and what feels right for you. And, and then that's what you put in there. And then that becomes the vibration. Mm -hmm. Now, the power of working with um, kind of set mantras, prayers and, um, you know, affirmations is that when we're saying them, and here's, George, what's really beautiful. It's not just us. We are entering into a vibration that around the world in that moment, there are probably millions of other people who are Om Namah Shivaya, 
or O Mani Padme Om, or Hail Mary Full of Grace, or whatever it is. In that moment, in this moment right now, there are people around the world who are meditating, chanting, and praying. And when we enter into that within ourselves, we, I believe, join into that mm. stream. And so it is reinforced. We are connecting with that. It's like dialing your radio or your whatever you work with, you know, you used to dial AM, FM, shortwave, <laughs> it's like dialing into a completely different channel. And in that channel, you're connecting with that vibration, that beautiful vibration of peace and compassion and health and well-being for self and for others. So that's about thoughts. And we can do the same with feelings. It's like we can decide my inner peace is more important than getting into that argument over that stupid thing <laughs> that I don't really care about right. getting. Okay. Like, seriously, we have to decide what value inner peace. At the same time, again, more healthy boundaries without being self sacrificing, without being acquiescing to other people. To, to find that, that balance of, of, of negotiating and navigating through daily life. Do you have a question there? I can see it in your eyes. I, I was just, in my mind, I was going through the different ideas of, of emotional boundaries and energetic boundaries and also processing this idea of tapping into the wellspring of beauty that is provided by other people praying. I've never heard it put that way before. And it is beautiful to think about. And it does make a lot of sense. And if you think about it, you can feel it. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful to hear it from you, Dr. Jessica. I've, I've never thought about it from that angle. And it it's helpful and it's beautiful. And I love it. Yeah, and, and, and that's what can support us in that moment yeah. is everybody has those difficult moments where we feel, you know, I'm all alone, and, you know, nobody's there. And, 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 there's, and there's a difference when we understand it and when we work with it. There's a difference between being physically alone mm -hmm. and solitary, okay, in, in, you know, maybe somebody's lying in a hospital bed and they're alone in that hospital bed in that moment, okay? And, and yet knowing that I can connect with all this beautiful oneness and here's the way I can. Mm. I can connect through my mind, through mantra, prayer, affirmation. I can connect through my heart, through focusing on, on peace and compassion. And the more we train the heart, okay, so now we're in, in the second one, which is self-love. Right. First of all, we define love. What is love? Now, I think one of the best de definitions, which of course I refer to and include, would be Scott Peck's in his mm. book, The Road Less Traveled, where right. he defines love. And love is not dependency. That's his you know, psychiatry training coming through and shining, okay? It's not dependency. People confuse, I need you with I love you. No, I need you? Mm, that's lovely, but mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be bigger than that. Okay, so I, 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 you know, we talk about love and what it is and what it isn't, and love is not codependency any more than it's dependency. It's not codependency. Codependency is a big challenge in our culture yeah it's a really big 
you, you understand what codependency is, is, is when we focus on the people outside of us and we worry about the need to fix, rescue, save and change other people and we neglect ourselves and what we feel in our own authenticity because we're so involved trying to please, fix, rescue, save, keep everybody else happy out there. Okay, and we can become very burned out and very, um, you know, uh, disconnected from our authenticity. And then we can't understand why people are angry with us when we say, well, that wasn't my authentic self. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, who was that? I thought that was you. You know, that's another thing about self-love is we have to take ownership of how we're showing up. We can't be angry at other people if we haven't been authentic. Was that a hard one? It's a it's, hard one to digest, eh? That's a it, hard it, one. It is. I, I think a lot of people, myself included, I almost think it comes back to awareness because it's difficult to be aware of your own authenticity all the time. You're so yeah. affected by outside factors. You're so affected by maybe a a fight you had with your lover or something that upset you and it, it pulls you out of that awareness. And when you're out of your own awareness, you're not being authentic. You are being pulled in the directions of something that is less than authentic. Well, and it may be, it may be that that thing needs our attention and we need yes. to sit down and give it our attention. And I think one of the, you know, a tool that I gave through all the years to my clients is that sometimes in the moment we can't give something the attention that it needs. Let's say we're at work and, and we mm -hmm. really have to be responsible to, um, to what our job is and make sure that we're doing it to the best of our ability. If whatever it is that's going on inside of us is getting in the way more seriously, then we have to take ownership of that and say to our, you know, and say to our staff or our boss or whoever, you know what, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really not okay right now. I need to take a little time for myself, you know, and that's being responsible. Okay. And, and so this awareness of what's my state of being, and then it's like, okay, I'm feeling this, but I know I'm able to put it on one side and I know then I'm going to come back to it. The problem is, is when people put it on one side, put it on the shelf, put it on the shelf, put it on the, and then the whole thing comes crashing down or they stick it under the rug, stick it under the rug and then they're tripping on it. And so it's from middle saying, you know, like what's happening here? Why are we tripping on stuff all the time? You know? And so if we're going to honor ourselves and self, the, you know, part of the practice of self-love is respecting ourselves and honoring ourselves enough to know when we need to set some time aside to deal with something. Now, whether that's a personal thing where we need to say, wow, that really affected me. I need to look at like, why am I reacting so strongly to this? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, look at, at getting professional help. I, I, I still don't understand why so many people are, they expect their friends or, you know, to work things out for them, but they don't have the training. They don't, don't have the expertise. I mean, would you say, gee, I've got a sore tooth, would you mind looking at it? <laughs> you think you can do something with it when well, they're not a dentist. <laughs> so why would you expect them to fix your tooth? But why do you expect your friends to be able to look at you talking about your work problem, your relationship problem, unless it's just a little like, oh, that was a hard day, you know? And so people need to be willing to go deeper, read books, um, go into therapy, go into a support group, you know, do whatever it is that you need to do. That's really loving yourself. So what is love? You know, here I'm agreeing with Scott Peck, where 
A love is a space that we create for others to grow in. Hmm. The space we create. Now, if we're not creating that space for ourselves, we won't have much. We can't create a space for others. And so we look at self-love and how to take care of ourselves. And there's two primary wounds around love that everybody needs to understand. And then, you know, be Cinderella, try it on and see if it fits. The first is the wound. Um, these are the wounds of omissions and commissions. So there's the wound of abandonment. And then there's the wound of engulfment or invasion. And these are the two primary ones. They're the big ones. It, it, and unless you've got like bombs dropping and there's issues of, you know, those are, those are you know, there's famine or severe illness and disease and, you know, outbreaks of, of really, um, you know, difficult situations. Um, then, of course, those are going to play a huge role. But if you're in kind of an average, ordinary, everyday, what we would consider North American life, okay, then these are the two primary wounds is going to be abandonment. And those are experienced primarily under the age of three. Under the age of six, let's say those what's known as the magical years, under the age of six, the dependency years. And, um, and then with each year, increasingly so, if there is a loss that is interpreted as an abandonment, there's a divorce, there's a death in the family, there's a loss of a loved one, there's whatever, we're going to be better positioned to weather that. The younger we are, the, the deeper the wound will be, and the more it will affect our sense of self and um, our, our, our understanding of what love is and what love isn't. And the younger it is, the more the non-ordinary state of consciousness is helpful in accessing the original grief, because it's hard intellectually to access, let's say, two-year-old grief, or, or, you know, in my book, you'll read that my mother had to go in the hospital when I was nine months old. You know, a nine-month-old cannot understand what's happening. They have nothing by which to measure it. A six-year-old, you can explain, mommy has to go in and have a surgery or, you know, daddy was killed in the war or, mm -hmm. you know, and a six-year-old has a better uh, intellectual and emotional capacity to start integrating that. An eight-year-old will do better. A 10-year-old will do better. A 12-year-old. So the further you go along in life, the better able we are to manage. And so whatever form that abandonment takes, it's going to affect how our heart, because it's a huge loss for our heart. The person we feel the most bonded to are some of the people we're, we're separated from them. And so engulfment, and there's many different ways to be engulfed. Uh, we can be engulfed psychically, energetically. Um, that's, we're back to the Darth Vader. Um, how many times I've heard, my fill-in-the-blank mother-father could silence me with a look. Didn't have to speak, didn't have to lift a finger. One look could do it, you know. There's that makes an effect, you know, and, and it can have a positive effect if it's done with kindness and firmness and explanations, okay? If it's not, if it's done with, hardness and coldness and tightness and criticisms and judgmentalism then it can have a you know so 
engulfment can be verbal, it can be physical, it can be, there's many different, you know, all to the deepest and the most painful sexual. Um, mm -hmm. So these are deep wounds and, and our willingness to have the courage to go diving into our unconscious and recover our own soul. This is the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. So self-love. <clears throat> now, you know, and that's all about boundaries too. We're going to come to boundaries, you know. So moving along in the chapters, okay, mm -hmm. we're coming to self-respect. And, you know, respect is, you know, we can talk about respect, but there's also cultural understandings. Ask me questions, George, if I'm not being, you know, kind of clear enough. There's, we, there's, you know, what's culturally respectful, you know, apparently in some cultures, if you burp, that's really respectful. That means right. you eat your meal. But if you burp in other cultures, it's like, that's really rude. Okay. And so respect is, is something that's also kind of flexible because we need to know where we are and how to respect and what shows respect. And again, you know, for, in some cultures, you don't touch strangers. If you accidentally step on their foot or brush against them, you apologize. I'm very sorry, you know. And uh, whereas I'm told there's some countries in the world where there's no sense of physical personal boundaries. Mm -hmm. That if you're on a train or a bus, that your person in the seat next to you will have no trouble falling asleep on your shoulder. Okay. And this is perfectly acceptable in their culture. They're tired, your shoulder's there, they're falling asleep on it. Okay. This, this would be weird for us in our culture if we think, uh, who are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're in my space. <laughs> you know, we have a very strong sense of personal space um, in our culture and how to, you know, keep the picket fence around mm. it. So we have we have this understanding that we are either given or we have to learn. And we can decide, okay, boundaries in the family, if boundaries in the family. If we are not taught healthy boundaries in our family, then it's really hard to, where do we start learning them? In school, we're going to learn some, and in our society, we're going to learn some. But then we reach a point where we understand what is really important to me. I have a right. These are what boundaries look like. I have a right to my own thoughts. I have a right to my own feelings. They're not right or wrong feelings. They're not right or wrong thoughts. There, do these thoughts lead me in healthy directions that bring me peace and health and well-being in my life? These feelings that I have, they're just feelings, okay? They're just part of being human. So there's fear. Wow, okay, that's scary. Mm -hmm. you know? um, there's happiness. Okay, let's enjoy that. Let's be happy at the fullest of our being that we can be happy. And then there's my body. I have a right to say who touches it and who doesn't touch it and how they touch it. And, and these are all the boundaries that we, that we start to understand. I have a right for my words to be respected as long as my words are respectful. Yeah, you know what, Dr. Jessica, I, I want to bring up a point. There, there are so, for those of us who have been lucky enough to travel and gotten to see some of these real boundaries in different cultures of, of you know, personal space or touch or words or aggression or any of these boundaries that we have seen in different countries or seen from different cultures. There's also just a wide chasm in different personal boundaries between different families 
And sometimes it's very easy to overstep those boundaries because what might be right for my family may be different from my neighbor who has a complete different set of boundaries, even though we participate in the same culture, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's just this difference. And I'm wondering if, if you have found some ways to navigate those, I, I, I think you, we yes. talked about vibrations earlier, and I think you can almost feel the barrier or feel the boundary there when you're approaching it. Have you found some ways to navigate that? Yes, um, and that's where respect comes in, respecting right. self and respecting others. This is really all about that kind of, you know, self-awareness, self-love, self-respect, okay? okay? And, and if we have self-respect, then we will understand that boundaries may be different in different cultures and different societies. And, and because we're so kind of multinational, global, connected, and everybody moves around. And, and you know, and I love that. That's yeah. what I've always loved about Montreal is it's been so multicultural. And I love that. And I love the different languages. And I love the different, you know, I, I love hearing all the different languages and all the different outfits. And I love when people wear the outfits of their tradition and the clothes of their tradition and their belief, you know. And so... Yes, when we understand, then, you know, I'm, I was born in England and I had a kind of pretty traditional, pretty strict um, British upbringing, which is you start formal and then you work your way slowly from formal. You don't start all open and, hi, I'm Fred, you know, it is you start more formal. And if you know that you're, you've just moved in and your next door neighbor is, and this is just kind of old fashioned British manners. Is you, that's where you start. And then it's like you start with respect. You start with a little bit of trust. Some people are way too trusting and some people don't trust at all. Okay. And you start with a little bit of respect, a little bit of trust. And then you start building on that and you build slowly and, and you build carefully, you know. And, and even something as simple as, as using somebody's title. I mean, I brought mm -hmm. my children up how I was raised, which is you start with, you know, you, you, my children would never go into a friend's home and, and call their parents, the parents, kids' parents by their first name. They were taught, you don't do this. You start with, you know, hello, Mr. Jones. If mm -hmm. Mr. Jones says, please call me Bill then Mr. Jones is explaining his boundary and what he wants. And that's what I've been teaching my granddaughters. If you go and they want you to call them by their first names, that's in their house. That's how they run things. You don't do that in grandma's house. Okay. But you, you start somewhere and then you can't go wrong starting too respectful and, and, and a little bit more formal because then somebody can say, no, please call me. You know, or, or, you know, depending on the setting and the situation, I think that we also have to accept that everybody has, and this is why it's the last one, different responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Self-responsibility and respecting other people's responsibilities. I think those are about healthy boundaries too. When I go in my doctor's office or my dentist's office or my accountant's office or whatever, I'm not going in there because I'm their buddy. Okay. okay. I'm not their buddy. They're my doctor, my dentist, my accountant. They're lovely, okay? I don't try to worm into their personal lives. I don't need to, you know? I can have this lovely, respectful, friendly, kind relationship and respect the professional boundary. And I find that that's got a little bit blurred through the years, the same way casual dress 
fell away and you don't go into banks anymore and see the men in suits and the women in, you know, whatever nice outfit. I don't have a problem. Women in pants can wear all the pants they want, you know. I'm okay with men in skirts too. I've got Scottish <laughs> background. A kilt is a skirt. Sorry. <laughs> it is. Okay. Call it whatever you want. It's <laughs> so I'm all good with that. Okay. The thing is, is some of the respectful formality of healthy boundaries in professional realms has kind of gone all kind of lax and silly and 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 then people wonder why there's not enough respect and and so there's navigating how to keep healthy boundaries for yourself and and how to respect yourself with your thoughts and your feelings how to be respectful to other people and and then let them give the clues of what they're they're comfortable with that doesn't mean that if you're not comfortable with it that you have to do it yeah it makes sense you know and that's that's the navigating is where we always need to be making these little adjustments and and being willing to be a little bit flexible depending on the situation that's where kindness comes in and firmness i think that you know, uh, women especially have difficulty with firmness because we're not allowed to be angry and firmness looks like angry and then we're a bitch. Oh, sorry, did I just say something <laughs> that I shouldn't say on air? Are we allowed to use words? Okay. But I mean, that's what happens to women, you know? Um, so it, 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 it just, we need to get past that where firmness is, is respected. Whether you're a teacher in the classroom and you need to be firm, with your students, whether you're um, in a situation, a hospital situation where you need to be firm with the people who are visiting as to what the hours are and what they can do and what they can't do. And these are all healthy boundaries. And, you know, uh, nowadays you have to have signs up saying, please don't yell at the staff. <laughs> I mean, this would have been unheard of in my upbringing, no one would have dreamed at yelling at the bank teller or the, the post office person, or this was not public behavior. If you did that, it meant that the, you weren't well. And then somebody should be making sure that you get the care that you need, or somehow it's just become being rude and nasty has become part of our civilization. That's sad. I'd rather we were doing namaste at each other, you know. <laughs> and, and that comes to self-importance. We're, okay. you know, our culture is 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 absolutely clogged up and blocked up with self-importance. It's almost the opposite of self-discipline, you know, because if you're disciplined, you understand that your 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 idea of yourself is to act with integrity when you. You know, when you don't have self-discipline, then you have self-importance, which is the illusion of integrity, is the illusion of importance. It seems yeah. to me anyway. Yes, you got it right. That's the chapter on self-discipline, <laughs> is, is how we get distracted and how to bring ourselves back. Just a few things I want to say more about yeah. responsibility. There's a lot of people have hyper-responsibility, mm. some people have hypo-responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault that I screwed up, <laughs> okay. it's always somebody else's fault. 
It's always somebody else has to do it. It's very difficult living with people who are too tight or too loose on that. Mm. It creates a problem. If we are spending our time with somebody who's hypo-responsibility, they're not doing their chores, they're not doing their tasks, whether it's work or at home, it's that person who's always at the last, last minute or beyond it or needing more, more time or more something or more this. You know, everybody needs that occasionally. Okay, and that's fine, that kind of occasional accommodation. But if there's a deep pattern of, you know, it's always Fred, who is the part of the team that's holding the whole damn thing up because he doesn't do his thing and procrastinates, then everybody needs to sit down with Fred and explain to him very firmly and kindly that his, his, his decisions and his choices have consequences. And, and, and that's where we elevate it to seeing that we are choosing our behavior, that we have choice. And this is what, in part, responsibility and discipline is all about, that we are choosing. And I've got people scratching their head. I can hear them out in space going, what's she talking about? <laughs> we choose. We choose our behavior. We can choose to procrastinate. It's just mm -hmm. a behavior. It's just a habit. Not like something we were born with, you know. We choose it. We can choose to be organized or disorganized. It's a choice. And yes, some personalities lend themselves more easily to one way or another. And, and then we consider that kind of a gift, like that comes easily. But then something else is harder. Have you noticed that? And often Absolutely. the people we choose to be in a relationship have the peace that we don't have, and we have the peace they don't have. Yeah. And if we look at it that way, we can see this is a gift that we bring into relationship, and we can either be fighting about it and trying to force it down their throat, or we can be the living model of it and be kind and firm and you know navigate through it as wisely as we can. That's well said. It's it's the choice. I think in the book you also talk about, you know, we have the choice of who we spend time with. We have a choice of how we spend our time. We have a choice of what we think about. And when you pan back and look at all these different choices of friends and family or choosing to focus on what brings value to your life, choosing instead of choosing what brings grief to your life, it is yeah. so much of our our own thoughts. And, like you know, it, like you said, it comes down to the four pillars: self awareness, self love, self responsibility, and self respect. I, I, it's yeah. well, it's really well done, and I think people should understand that those are the four pillars of self care. And if you get Dr. Jessica's book, both of them, <laughs> Ayahuasca Awakenings, then you can see these particular choices broken down in a format that is easily digestible. And I, I, I just want to say everyone should go out and check out the book. It's, it's helped me, and I want everyone to to check it out. But I'll, I'll, I'll stop it there and let you keep going. Okay, so yeah, choices people don't realize, you know. I, 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 you know, 40 years I worked with people, and how often, you know, a person would be in such a difficult internal place, not really realizing how many choices they do have. And so we start making the choices over the things that we we can choose, how we spend our time, what we eat, what we get, you know, everybody gets up in the morning and puts on clothes, right? <laughs> okay. 
we can choose that. We can choose how we keep our home. We can choose how we manage our money, whatever money we've got. We've got a little bit, then we need to choose to be very careful with it. Okay. We've got more. Well, then we can choose to be generous and share some of it as well. That's how I look at it. But anyway, yeah. um, or buy more things, you know, and that we have to put a, get a space to put the things. <laughs> we worry about the things. This is very George Carlin, isn't it? Yeah, right, right. Stuff. <laughs> then we have to put up another shed and buy another house and a storage <laughs> locker for all the things. Okay. <laughs> that's our culture. We accumulate stuff, whether it's thoughts and feelings and baggage and all the baggage we drag around with us. Robert Blythe speaks about that. He talks about the black bag we drag behind us. You know, that's got stuffed full of things and things and things and things. And he says, eventually you have to sit down and dump it out. And what I love about his description, he says, we find out some of the stuff isn't even ours. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't even our stuff. We're carting around Uncle Harry's stuff. We're carting around some of our mom's stuff. <laughs> All the family baggage, we stuffed it into that. And we're dragging it along. All these old beliefs and behaviors and attitudes and all this stuff. We just got to empty it out and offer it up. You know, say a prayer over it. Sing a song. Grieve if you need to. Dance if you can. But you, know, you got to leave it behind. Not be dragging it with you because it's heavy and it weighs us down. You know, you know, those kind of rocks in the heart, you know, those dense, heavy, dark, hard things that, you know, all the resentments and the frustrations and the little woundedness and everything, those can just clutter up the heart. Yeah. Often people come and, and, and they didn't understand that they, they want, they talk about they want to open their hearts. And I think, hmm, should I tell them now or wait till later? But as soon as we start to open our heart, the first thing out is all that block grief. Well, you know, this is like a, a glass. If you've got a glass full of water, you can't pour anything else into it until you've emptied out the water, right? And so you can't fill your heart with peace or love or make space for any of that until you've emptied out all the woundedness and the grief and the resentments and the frustrations. And when people get, oh, I need to grieve. Yeah, you need to grieve. And if it takes you a day, a week, a month, a year, then that's okay. You learn to honor it. You learn to work it with it. You know, we talked uh, earlier today about setting things on one side and then honoring it and coming back to it later and saying, okay, I'm just going to sit now. I'm going to, you know, say a prayer or do a meditation. You know, I used to say to people, hey, I take a box of Kleenex. I go lie in my bed and I do some deep holotropic uh, breath work breathing. Whatever is there is going to come. You know, you need to have a cry. It's going to be right there. You know, once you're, once you're used to, after so many years, you get used to processing things. You get, you're not scared of it anymore. A lot of people are really deeply scared of it. And that often happens because they were young when it happened. These things that they're grieving. You know, and the younger you were, the more scary it's going to feel. And then you can start reaching into past life stuff, birth stuff. That's because birth is really scary. It's our our deepest body memory you know we die from the water world of mother's body to be born into the air world of planet earth and for most people it's the hazardous journey it's not sitting on the beach with a margarita under the umbrella enjoying the waves <laughs> chatting with your friends okay 
it's a hazardous journey, a life-death threat, mm-hmm. you know. And so these things can feel really scary, and that's why we need safe environments, skilled professionals, and, you know, really good tools to work with when we are doing really deep exploring. So I'm hoping that my books and the work I've been doing, also it's not just for kind of just general people, but I'm really hoping that uh, people who are training, you know, right now here in Canada, I know that there's different trainings opening, opening up everywhere. There's two universities in Canada that are opening, you know, graduate level. They have micro pro- uh, programs and they're opening graduate level programs. And I happen to be the advisor and a guest lecturer at the programs here at the University of Ottawa. I'll give a shout out to them. Uh, Vancouver Island University, a shout out to them. And so programs are developing by serious educational institutions who really want to get it right. They want to get it right, you know, like what do, how do we prepare people to work with people in deep non-ordinary states of consciousness? What kind of skills do they need? What kind of credentialing or training is the best for them? We don't want to repeat the errors um, that happened, uh, you know, in years past. Let's learn from them and learn what really supports and helps people. And, you know, on that note, uh, we should all be concerned. So I'm hoping the books will also be used in training programs. And because these books offer people that, they're guidebooks for that. So it's not a novel. And, um, you know, talking about training and certification and everything else, what I think, you know, part of a large conversation is the biomedical for-profit for-profit model that we all just need to be aware of that everybody's voices need to be part of the conversation about how these entheogens and psychedelics are going to be used and and everybody's voices and those are the indigenous voices heritage tradition voices harm reduction the people who've worked decades and decades in harm reductions the good programs they've developed there they need to be heard and listened to right we need to have education in there. The the reputable universities and centers that are interested in training and getting it right and doing it right. We all need to have a conversation. Heritage traditions, everybody's voices need to be part of this. The researchers and the clinicians. So um, we've been working on on developing a model of what does that look like. And again, that's in the paper we published, Anthogens and Psychedelics in Canada, Proposal for a New Paradigm. And we've taken that forward now and continuing to open the dialogue of how do we how do we make sure that access and inclusivity happen and and the the voices that need to be sharing common ground have a space in which to speak and share and learn from each other. Does that make sense, George? Yeah, it does. It, it brings up a point. I, I, now that you're talking about it, I'm curious. How do you have a, a specific way you see it shaping out or in your mind or or if you look into a way that would be the most beneficial, do you see the the types of therapy as a as branches on a tree, the same way there is a you know like gestalt therapy versus other kinds of therapy? Do you see the world of entheogens and psychedelics playing out where there's a role for the clinicians? There's a role for the indigenous people. Because what I see sometimes is 
I see a lot of people that may go to South America and they they may maybe they maybe they go to a a fancy resort and they have an ayahuasca ceremony or a mushroom ceremony. Or, or maybe they go with more authentic. But it seems to me things may be lost in translation there for the lay person who doesn't understand that culture. If they go to South America and they have this experience, but it's not really the Western culture. Do you think that maybe there's, there's it seems to me like there's some loss in translation with the way people are trying to, to maneuver. And I'm just wondering how you see it shaken out in the future. Well, that's such a good question. Thanks for asking it. I know that there's, you know, quite a few of us in the LinkedIn stream that are kind of posting up different, um, you know, concerns and comments along this line. And, and it's a conversation that is a very worthy and valuable conversation, one that needs to be had with respect and consideration so that we can find common ground. Yeah. Um, this should not be a tug of war over who owns entheogens and who owns psychedelics. This should be a unified, open dialogue in which all voices have an opportunity to speak and share. So if we look at, you know, I'm in a heritage tradition. I'm a Dainista. I'm a Madrina of a Santo Daimi Church. It's 26 years now. I drink and serve Daimi and, and apprenticeship on the path and what have you. And so I know that I, the roots of my tradition are the Amazonic shamanic roots. They're still an important part, but also are some of the African roots through Mr. Reneo, who is the, you know, the grandson of slaves brought from Africa. And so those roots are there. Some, some, you know, folded in with some European spiritism, Folded in, you know, is some other Brazilian influences. Uh, and, and this is, is a very eclectic tradition. And I think that's why it's been able to go around the world. And if, you, if we look at the older shamanic tradition here, a lot of the focus is on the medicine women and medicine men who apprenticed most of their lives. Who, who, who learned, who had to learn from young all the different trees and berries and roots and plants. We have to understand that their, their apprenticeship is equivalent to, you know, a medical doctor's training and um, and in which they really learn to be until the tribe and the community call them a curandero or a neowaskero or a shaman or a shamaness or a medicine man or medicine woman. And that's their affirmation that they've learned this and they know how to do it. And so it's, you know, again, we're in the internationalization of, let's focus on ayahuasca for a moment. And what, um, who was it? Um, Marlene Dobkin de Rios, who, who called it ayahuasca tourism. Okay. It's ayahuasca tourism. And, and so, of course, some people in South America are looking at this and, and it brings in money, it brings in business, it brings, it helps centers develop and people have work and, and there's, I know that there are some centers that are ethical and are working very closely with um, kind of North American and or European um, and or, you know, medical professionals and health professionals to ensure a level of 
cultural fit, let's say, a better fit culturally. But the bottom line is, is people don't understand that when when they're they're not just hearing somebody sing a few songs, they don't really understand what's happening. This is about perception. Do they really understand? Yes, they have their journey, but um, they have their experience and, and maybe they have people helping them, supporting them during the experience. And maybe they have, you know, circles of kind of integration afterwards. But integration actually isn't part of the Santo Daimi tradition. You rarely talk about your mirror cells. There's really important reasons for this. Um, and and so we're kind of parachuting. People are being parachuted into situations where they, I don't think they understand that they are, are tapping into thousands of years mm. of beliefs and tradition. And let's just talk about the carols or the songs in the Santo Dami, their hymns and pontos. Those are calls, pontos are calls for certain beings. That what we're doing is, looks like one thing on the outside, looks like we're singing and then we're dancing or we're meditating. Something completely different is happening completely and totally different and and it takes for some people it takes them a long time to understand what's really going on okay what's really going on is happening on many different levels and when it looks like we're just kind of singing we're actually calling beings who arrive in the room who actually work on the people in the room and that's what's happening okay and whether they work through mediumship and they come through in different individuals who are um who are working and trained in their mediumship, or whether they just arrive in the room, but we're honoring and calling all these different spiritual guides and beings uh, to work in the room. So we're not going and touching people and we're not, you know, we're not inter intervening in their passage or the process and unless they ask for help or they clearly need some help. You know, we don't want somebody going into kind of a state and then falling off their chair. Okay, we're gonna get them help down and get them lying down in the healing area. But people don't really understand what's going on. They, I think they need to at least educate themselves as to um, what are the beliefs of the people and who are they working with and and what is their worldview? And mm -hmm. um, you know, and 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 some of it is not going to fit North American worldview. Some yeah. of it is just not going to fit. Yeah. And 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 this was kind of in part somewhat of a challenge because um, bringing the Santo Daini here, there's certain adaptations that we have made to make a better fit into our culture. Some of it was with our uniforms. Some of it was making you know very guided. Um, always praying and meditating and being guided, feeling very guided to slowly and considerately and in harmony and unity and, you know, even taking things to votes uh, in our membership. Okay, this is what we feel guided to do. And now everybody pray about it, meditate on it. And now are we in union on doing, taking this step? So nothing just like that, you know? So small adaptations have been made um, which is actually quite normal in the Santo Daimi. If you look even in Brazil, there's many different branches of the Santo Daimi. Mm -hmm. It's not like kind of like the Catholic Church where you can go to the Catholic Church. <laughs> the Mass is the Mass, the same prayers, maybe different language, that's the only thing. Whereas in the Santo Daimi, each church will have its, and each line or branch may have its own slightly different flavor because of that's what that, center eclectic center for the universal flowing light is holding and so i think people really need to educate themselves 
Um, I'm of the belief that for people who are not really feeling spiritually called, but really just want an experience, that they're really better staying with psychedelics and with a trained professional and um, doing something that kind of, you know, Stan Groff developed the holotropic breathwork right. when, as a way of working in a non-ordinary state that did not require a substance based on all of his work with LSD. And, um, and I really... I really do believe that I think that that is a better fit for most people where they're working within their culture and, and where they can bring their own the same way Stan Groff did when he was working with LSD psychotherapy. He would, he would, you know, if the person is a Jewish person, you're not going to be, you know, reading from the Tibetan book of the dead. Okay. And, and you're going to choose the music that speaks to them and you're going to, say the prayers or or the songs or the words that have comfort and meaning for them you know and uh, you don't go in omnamaya shivaying on 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 somebody who's very quite christian you know you take in the prayers and the images that are going to be their comfort and so i think that that's something that has to has some adjustment in what's happening I think that there's some people who are working in psychedelic therapy who are doing their best to kind of make it neutral, but I don't think they realize how much of their own stuff they're bringing in and putting in mm -hmm. those rooms. Okay, they like Buddhism, so there's a little picture of Buddha. There's a, you know, they like the guru, so there's this. Yeah. And, 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 and so I think that that's, you know, something that, yeah, I mean, you can look and you're going to see all kinds of things behind mm -hmm. me. <laughs> and dimey stars and you can see Buddhist paintings and pictures and things like that. So we have to be mindful of remaking it, uh, the set and setting for the person and for their beliefs, if it's individual, and then do we do a little bit of learning about that? Do we make it, you know, Stan Groff would always use flowers. He would use music, choose the music very carefully and, and make sure that there was nothing there that would be strike the wrong chord with the person's belief systems. These are things that need to be talked about and they need to be, you know, if people are going to seriously. So do I think ayahuasca should be used in a strictly therapeutic? I don't think so. I don't think any of the sacred plants should. I think the sacred plants, I think that the people who want to work with them need to sit down with the heritage traditions and the indigenous traditions that use them and have an open conversation about that. And I really think that the psychedelics are a much better choice um uh because these plants have beings that they mm. have spiritual lines yeah. people don't understand that we've had people come and drink in our church and then they come to me afterwards and they say uh, i don't think i can come back and i'll say oh okay um i met a being and the being said to me why are you coming here you don't believe this why are you coming here don't come back until you believe it other people will say, I met a being and the being said to me, why are you back here? You didn't do already what I told you. <laughs> don't come back until you do what I already showed you to do. When you've done that, maybe you can come back. And, and, and so it's, it, it's not just having um, an expanded experience where you're seeing your own stuff. It's bigger than that. Mm. There's more happening with the sacred plants. There's more happening with those plants because those plants are connected to, to spiritual realms and spirit guides that have been known and worked with for a long time. 
Does, does this make any sense? I know some people are going to start to hear and say, "What is she talking about?" <laughs> I think it makes I think it makes beautiful sense. I, I actually I actually had a conversation with Dr. Rick Strassman, um, and he was talking quite a bit about the different beings in which one can see, especially on like a DMT, you know, uh, journey. And he he went deep into the Hebrew Bible and he talked about the different kinds of beings and Tarde Ma and all these incredible insights. And when I had questioned on him, asked him, like, what what why is it that you focus so much on these different beings? Because obviously there's pushback when you start talking about beings that some people don't believe in or could have yeah. never seen or can't even imagine. And his right. his it was so beautiful. He goes, you know, George. I want people to understand that if when they're in this state, who they're talking to, because that's where the work can get done. Only then can you understand what someone is trying to teach you when you can understand who you're talking to. If you don't know who you're talking to, it's it's almost pointless to to have a conversation with them. Don't you can get things out of it, but if you know who you're speaking with, the information right. you can get is so much better. And that's when you true. talk about the different beings, you know. It, it almost seems like that psychedelics are a way to take the spiritual. It's like entheogens without the spirituality in some ways, but but yes. maybe you could talk a little bit more about beings. And, and I know that you've had some encounters or I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about it, but maybe you could talk a little bit more about, it. I think it's fascinating. Well, they're all in my book, as I said, yeah, down to Catherine street, <laughs> <laughs> a little vulnerable, but um, got to own it with a laugh and then it's not so uncomfortable. Um, so yes to that thought about that there are some of us who see, see that entheogens and psychedelics can't just be put in the same basket. Right. You know, entheogens are sacred plants. We worry about sustainability of the plants. People are going into the jungles and ripping out the vines, the ayahuasca vine, the, the jacobi, and, and they're ripping the leaves off the trees and selling it over the internet. And this is horrifying. Okay, for those of us who have such a deep respect for the plants, people have trampled through the fields because people wrote about it. Oh, I went to this field and these mushrooms were growing there. I went here and there was this cactus that has this in it and that. And the next thing you know is you have a ton of psychedelic tourists who are trampling through all through them because they have an apprentice and they don't know. Like if, when you apprentice, you know like anything else it's like a farmer a farmer you don't just become a farmer you have to know when to plant you have to know when to harvest you have to know when to water you have to know when to do fertilize you have to know how to take care of the land you have to, i mean it's, it's 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 a whole beautiful process i i love farmers i think you know chapeau farmers we don't eat without you guys and you're not appreciated enough really and especially the ecologically minded ones and the environmentally sound ones and you know thank you thank you thank you keep it up don't get too discouraged so you have these trees and these plants that are connected to realms and beings guard them and 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 people are in there either innocence, ignorance, greed, longing, need. I mean, it's not just one thing. There's all kinds of things. You know, deep longings and needs can cause as much problems as anything else, right? Um, are, 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 are creating problems of sustainability and respect. And, and of course, heritage traditions and indigenous people are, are saying, hey, 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 hey. You know, it's like when the... Europeans came and, and would kill thousands of buffalo. Yep. 
killed all the passenger pigeons. We'd go out and just shoot thousands of them. Uh, I mean, we're watching some equivalency here. We're, we're watching there's something there that is kind of equivalent. There's the same kind of, of self-important, self-entitled, I'm entitled, I want it, therefore, it's very two-year-old narcissism. You know what I'm saying? I want it, therefore, I can go and take it. And, and I'm really hoping that that will change. And I think it can change if we create common ground and if we listen to each other and if we create opportunities mm. where the scientists and the clinicians and the educators can talk with the indigenous voices and <clears throat> knowledge holders, wisdom holders, and <clears throat> excuse me, and the heritage traditions. If we can all talk together, then understanding can come. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, North Americans, <clears throat> sorry, North Americans culture and European culture will do a lot better, you know, because they don't understand and 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 are we are bereft north american cu culture is bereft of true spirituality mm -hmm. and what filled it is new age nonsense i see you nodding so you're agreeing a lot yeah. of new age nonsense which is fantasy based all i have to do is stick a picture of fill in the blank of gorgeous home of bmw on my fridge and all i have to visualize that i'm gonna get it okay that whole weird new age thing that's all attached to things and having and and it took a solid gold truth and it converted it into something else which is the law of prosperity uh material it turned into materialism mm -hmm. instead of the prosperity is the goodness of the soul prosperity of the heart prosperity of compassion, prosperity of truth, of justice, of harmony, of quality. That's where we need to first have prosperity. But it got materialized into things. Mm -hmm. So prosperity is all about having things. Two cars and number one on the charts. And Do you think that that was something that was, that was a something that was done purposeful. It almost seems that there was this, I was born in 75, but it seems to me that prior to the seventies, there was this idea that religion was a problem. And that if we could just get rid of this idea that it would stop all this violence. And, and it was just this, it, it seems to me it was misguided and, and they tried to replace spirituality with materialism. And, you know the road to the the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and it seems that, that new ageism came from this idea of replacing spirituality with wants and needs that are superficial. Is is that on board, or, or is that way off the track? Or what do you think about this? That's really How close. This yeah, that's really close. Is first of all, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, um, well put. And and <laughs> and we can all agree that that what we call religion has done so much damage. You know, all these great teachers would be horrified yeah. if they knew what was ha had been done and was being done in their names. Yeah. Horrified, because it's not what they taught, you know? And Karen Armstrong, you know, A History of God, please everyone, 
should be required reading in high school, as far as I'm concerned. And um, and she 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 has a go with the patriarchal religions. Okay, mm. she she starts at the beginning, six thousand years ago, and she threads it through. And she sees she she uses solid research. She's a she's a, a retired nun, Catholic nun, you see. Um, and so she she lays it all out in the most beautiful and simple way about this is what really happened. And here's all the cultural things that were, and the human things that were making the decisions about power and taking, and you know, and God told us to go and do this, and God told us to go and do that. Well, God never said any such thing, <laughs> ridiculous, okay? And, 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 you know, God told us that's our land, we go and take it, mm -hmm. and God said this, and we go and do that, and we can keep all that and do it. Okay, well, this is, uh, no, 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 God said, no, God didn't say. Those are human. That's the human voice saying, I want power, I want territory. I personally think that if, if you know, what did Joseph Campbell say about Jehovah? The only problem with Jehovah was he thought he was God. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of one of them. You know? Right. And, and so, you know, we can see, we can, hopefully we can see where we went wrong where the human need for power and money and control and you know all of these things and importance all of these things were taken over i mean at the root of the inquisition was that if you got inquisitions we get to take all your money and your goods and that's at the root of it right yeah absolutely oh we have a visitor <laughs> that's my little angel over there She's out of school and, and learning, oh. and she's so amazing. One of the most beautiful oh. women in the world. I'm so proud of her. Oh. <laughs> lucky dad, lucky dad. I am. I really am. You, you really? Know. And so what happened is to what some religions did, and I think all religions did some of it, and some religions did more of it, is they sucked the spirituality out. They made a small group of people own the spirituality you want to talk mm -hmm. to god you got to come to me first right. okay no that's not what the buddha taught it's not what jesus taught it's not what anybody taught okay jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you mm -hmm. god and i are one you and i are one god and i are you are one that's it we're all one okay and those are the core teachings and so if we go back to the real core teachings we can strip away the things that that humans put in. I I don't know if I talk about this in the book or I mention it, but I remember once being shown kind of what I call kind of like the tapestry of life. And it was this huge tapestry. It was in a kind of a vision, this huge tapestry of the ages of the ages. Okay. You know how you see these you go in the British Museum or the New York Museum, you see these magnificent tapestries depicting the famous scenes from history. And this was like the whole of the human experience was in this tapestry. And running through it was a golden, one golden thread. And sometimes it would disappear and sometimes it would appear in it. And it was as if Spirit said to me, that golden thread, that's it. And everyone keeps forgetting about it. And then you wake up and you remember. And then it goes back down again because everybody covers it up with other stuff. Okay. And I think that our spiritual task is to remember who we are why we're here, who we really are, what our life is about, and how we can live it to 
to the best of our soul's potential at the same time that we do our best to create a good, healthy life for ourselves. And that can mean physical prosperity. Mm-hmm. You know, you do well in your career because you put your good effort into it. You're not a slave to it, but you also treat it with respect and kindness. And usually you'll do well. You'll, you usually will, unless there's, you know, something way out of your control happens. You know, an illness that you don't expect or a, a huge upheaval that, you know, a hurricane, a tsunami, a war. These things that are so out of our control. But yes, how do we... So, yes, religion and spirituality, you know, and then people are, are kind of creating their own spirituality by taking a little bit of, they take mm-hmm. two things from Buddhism and one thing from Hinduism and one thing from Christianity and something else from Judaism. And mm-hmm. they mix it all together and shake it up into a cocktail and they, <laughs> and they say, this is my spirituality. And you know what? God bless. You know what? That's wonderful. There's absolutely no problem with that. Just don't go imposing it on other people because then you're doing the very thing that you hated and disagreed with. But don't you find that the people who are, this is, this is the new age spirituality are busy trying to convince everybody that that's the truth and that's the way. I mean, don't people get it? How is it different? It's not different. You either respect that each person will find their own authenticity Maybe for somebody being the closest to the divine is walking in nature. Yeah. Listening to music, um, doing compassionate service, working in the homeless shelter, running the juice cart around in the hospital, perhaps being in service is the way, or, or helping the animals at the animal shelter, you know, find homes. This for me is compassion in action. This is, you know, this is true yoga. This is true Christianity. This is true service. This is living. This is living it. And if you want to go to a temple, a mosque, a a center, and sing together and pray together, that's wonderful too. Just don't go imposing it. Don't go thinking that your way is the right way, the only way. Your way is the way you're called to, and that's grand. And now live it and love it. Don't go imposing it on anybody else. Do, Do you see how that's what's happened? It's Absolutely. Like this, new, this new agey thing, like this is the right thing. And no, it's as you said earlier, there's all these different ways. Yeah, there's all these different ways. Which is I the way that I, has heart? What yeah. has heart? I kind of feel like that there people have been so thirsty for spiritual teachings that they're almost sucked into the new age sort of ideas yeah. because they haven't had any sustenance. They haven't had any of the intuition that comes from being next to the sacred or, you know, I'm a big fan of Eliad and he talks about the terror before the sacred. And I I, I, I get goosebumps when I think about it. And that, that leads me to this idea of, you know, in, in the, I think in the Catholic church, you, you take the Eucharist and in, in maybe in some South American, you can take these, these sacred sacraments, but they're both seem to be the flesh of God. And they both seem at least one of them is, seems to be the real thing where you can be given insights into what it is you're truly feeling. And I, I'm curious, what, what do you think is the relationship between the Eucharist of the Western religions and say like ayahuasca or or this or mushrooms or some sort of sacred um, entheogen? Well, 
for for us in our in our center in the Santo Daimido, it needs to know that that when we take this is our sacrament, right. and and when we take it in the ritual, we take it in a very formal. Everybody lines up and we pour the sacrament, and and it's said with prayers and then in silence and the concentration, um, and um, you know we open the work and with prayers and we close the work with prayers and we sing hymns and we meditate. <clears throat> And we say that the work starts three days before work and it continues for three days after. So for three days before and three days after, we need to be mindful. Uh, it's not just the diet that's important to follow. With our sacrament, there is a diet that you do need to be mindful of because there's certain things that are contraindicated. <clears throat> and so it's, what are you thinking and what are you doing? And it's not just like don't eat a hamburger, you know, or you know, or bacon the day before a work. But it's like don't watch a violent movie the day before a work because you're going to get into the work and 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 your mind's going to be filled with all those images of smash, crash, bang, boom, and and there's going to be this little voice inside of you saying, "Why are you watching this? How does it nourish your soul?" No, I'm not saying people shouldn't go and see an action film. I'm just saying. Think about it and see what's wise for you. And maybe don't do it three days before work. You know, people learn and often they need to learn the hard way. You asked me a little bit earlier, I, mean, I want to spend a little time talking yeah. about wholeness, but you asked me a little yeah. about beings. Okay. And then we yes. wandered off in a different direction, <laughs> which I'm quite famous for and um, are well known for. Is is you know catching the uh, something and then going going down that road um, because it's so much fun. So about beings and um, you asked me a question. You said yes. I talk in the book about some of my encounters, and you were talking about before joy comes terror. Mm. Yes. If you read accounts, um, when I was a teenager and I was trying to figure out. What's going on, man? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> Who am I? What's happening? Like, I don't get any of it. <laughs> okay. So I'm a young teenager and I'm starting to read things like the Old Testament because I found the prophets saw things and they had dreams. Okay. So I'm not really quite crazy, you know, because I'm in this very North American situation, no spirituality, going to the Anglican church, which is lovely. But there's no spirituality in there. Okay, and they'll be talking about these things. So I think, oh, okay, maybe I'm just from another planet. And my mother, if I've said this before, my mother used to say, oh, I didn't give birth to her. She arrived by spaceship. Because <laughs> even in my own family, I'm weird. <laughs> okay, so from a young age. And that's all fine. But it was hard when I was trying to figure it out. And I found immense comfort in what I could find. I'm reading, I'm like, what, 15 years old or something? I'm 16, I'm reading Aldous Huxley. I mean, I'm reading science fiction because at least science fiction is talking about other realms and other worlds. So it's, it doesn't quite fit, but at least it's somehow comforting that other people imagine that there's other realms and other beings and other things going on, okay? And so I think that we, we need to you know, help our young people who go through these rites of passages um, understand that, um, that yes, and especially when they're really young, and I think that they still have stronger links to, you know, stronger links to the unseen realms. And without pandering and without indulging, how we can normalize some of that. 
how we can just normalize it. Spirituality is real. And for some people, um, their intuition, their empathy, and their spirituality, they have greater access to it. The same way some people have musical talent or artistic talent or brilliant in math or something. Some people are just open and this is an important part of their life they're going to need to learn how to work with it nothing you know nothing for me is more kind of concerning than i you know from time to time people still contact me and they call themselves mediums and i write quite a bit about and volume one about mediumship and you know and and how to recognize kind of be careful who you listen to and what you tell and, you know, who you let dig around in your psychic space and, and who to run away from immediately if they start doing things like you have dark beings on you and all kinds of things and only I can take them off you. Bye. <laughs> okay. and, um, and, and, and how to learn, you know, so there's some guidelines in, in volume one on, on what to look for and how to be careful and things like that. And, and yet there's also this understanding that many people are longing to have these encounters or having these encounters and are terrified of them. Having encounters with, with either um, a sense of other, a sense of presence, a sense of other realms, other dimensions, of things opening, of, of, of premonitions, of... of um, thinking something's going to happen and then it happens okay and these are actually all normal parts of being human and thank god through this last the second half of the last increasingly in the second half of the last century more and more serious researchers have done research on all of this and now they're saying looks like this is part of being human you know and then how do we how do we work with it? And so what do you do when you encounter being? Well, it depends on which being you've encountered. Okay, that's the first thing, okay? And, um, you know, uh, there's, there's different beings. There are different beings. And sometimes it's going to be a beloved spirit guide. Like I write about my encounters with Tantra Teo and then, you know, Grandmother Three Moons and Two Feathers and these beloved spiritual guides who were like, personal guides to me and who've helped me so much in this life and, and taught me so much and, and, and given me the great gift of being able to, you know, assist in this realm because of the grace of them mm. in that realm. And, and that's the only way I know how to describe it, that it's not me, that it's, it's learning how to get out of the way. Just get out of the way. You know, and 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 then there's other layers of beings. I talk about that in volume one is is, you know, you encounter a great being. You know, you, you can read throughout um, sacred writings when when usually Old Testament, New Testament, if we're looking at the Christian Bible, that you can read about these old prophets and and and, and how they fall as if they're dead at the feet of these great beings. Yeah, that's what it is. It's terrifying when you when you meet these great when you have these encounters there is this 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 complete terror and until until there there's a the fear is less and the love is more and we realize that what's scaring us is our is this illusion of that einstein speaks about this illusion of separateness um and what's scaring us is who we think we are who we're scared that we're not um, 
what's scaring us is our own shame or our own guilt or our own, because they're brilliant, bright lights Mm. and they shine on everything and we can't hide anything from them, you know? They're like that grandma that you can't pull anything on. (laughs) (laughs) No, she just knows, you know? I I say this about Stan Grell. When I first met him, um, he, he, he'd come to a conference. It was a big conference here in Montreal, transpersonal um, conference, and everybody was here, Sylvia Rinpoche and uh, Dalai Lama. I mean, everybody came. Everybody it was a transpersonal conference that blew everybody's mind away, and, and people from, the, from all the transpersonal fields and um, were here from Kenneth Ring and Stan Groff, and it just, you know, I could go on naming all the incredible people who were here. Anyway, so he did a workshop, and so I, I was thrilled because I'd read some of his books. And so I signed up for this workshop and I didn't know I had a training. I didn't, you know, I'd never experienced holotropic breath work and everything. So I go in, I have my first experience in holotropic breath work. I'm blown away. I go back to my birth. I connect with things. Thought, they call them body memories. And I relive my birth experience and I learned so much from it. You know, at the same time that I'm having a good howl on the mat, you know, because you got to cry out, you have to cry out some of this stuff. So I tentatively wait for him at the end of, you know, the thing, and I take up one of his books, and I stand in front of him, and I ask if he would mind, you know, signing his book, and how much I've enjoyed his books. And so he takes the book, and he looks at me, and he's silent, and he just looks at me, and I feel like... This man is looking through me. He's seeing absolutely everything. Who I am, what I am, what my potential is, what I've where I've been, what I've done. He's like looking so deep, he's already into my past lives. <laughs> I'm just standing there in front of him. And I'm feeling like I've been I've been with Buddhist teachers who couldn't look at me like this. Mm. Okay? I've been with gurus who couldn't look at me with the depth that this man is looking at me. And he's seeing, he has eyes to see. And he looks at me, he says, You know I have a training, eh? And I said, no. He says, I think you might like it. <laughs> and that was it. I was like, apprentice. You know? And it, it, it's, and he has stories of what's happened to him where he's been awoken by other great teachers. You know? And so we're just trying to pass it on. Just trying to pass it on. And so you know, what happens when you meet a difficult or dark being? Well, here's where the Buddha is really helpful. Okay, Buddhist teachings are incredibly, I think they do the best job of all the traditions of helping you with this. Okay, you pray for them. Mm. You show them the light. There's a wonderful story about the Buddha, attributed to the Buddha, who had some young apprentices, disciples, what have you, students. And he takes them to a woods and he says, you need to go in to those woods and you'll be spending the night It's part of your initiation is you'll be spending the night in those dark woods and one of them pipes up and says but those woods are talked about that they're haunted hmm. and he says yes and you're going to go in and meditate and you go okay so the buddha comes the next morning and these terrified young people totter out of the woods and they say why did you send us in there the woods are haunted and there's all these discarnate beings in there and the buddha goes you didn't meditate did you did you open your heart of compassion? No, we forgot to do that. We were so scared. We forgot to do that. Oh, well, tonight you go in and that's what you do. <laughs> so the next night, trembling back into the woods, 
The next morning, the Buddha's waiting for them in the edge of the woods. They come out and they say, oh, it was completely different. This was wonderful. We meditated and we opened our hearts and they all went into the light. That's it. Mr. Renéo said, you don't want to be scared by this. You just show them the path to the light. You just show them. Now, to be able to do that, you need to be firm in yourself. If you're not firm in yourself, if you haven't addressed some of your own unhappiness, unresolvedness, and everything else, then you're not going to be able to, you know, it's, you know, reaching into those great stories. is like Luke Skywalker when he's with Yoda on the planet, and, and he feels cold, and he goes into the cave, remember? And, yeah. And he's he has to, you know, he has this this encounter darth vader's there and he fights him and then as he strikes him off the helmet rolls off and he sees his own face mm. and that's what we as long as we have something inside of us as long as we have the demons of jealousy and envy and hatred and resentment and all of those things then they're going to manifest in the mirror outside of us you know remember that there's a wonderful movie keanu reeves plays the young buddha going towards his enlightenment i forget i can't remember the title maybe it'll come to me of the it might be even the little buddha or something who knows but anyway and they have that wonderful that wonderful scene where he's sitting under the bodhi tree and he's meditating and it's going to be his moment of enlightenment he's got his fingers on the ground and and um exactly that position <laughs> behind me everything's reversed here and and so He's, he's sitting there and, and, and along comes all the temptations. Same thing that mm. Jesus had. Jesus had temptations. You're hungry, turn the stone into bread. I can give you all the power in the world. Right. Just say the word yep. and you're powerful. And he's busy saying, get behind me. So Mara, you know, Mara comes along and tempts him with all this food and beautiful women and all these different things to try and tempt him. And, and he's not having any of it. But it's not. And then what does Mara do? Mara shows up like terrifying demon and they do pretty decent special effects for whatever year <laughs> they've done it and and he shows up as so that's the last hope of the illusion is can i scare you mm. can i scare you off the path so we all in the hero's journey we all have to face the witch the dragon the troll under the bridge the scary thing the dark <laughs> Vader ourselves we we are you know we have to face the cancer the divorce the loss of a job, whatever form that takes, okay, that is the challenge on the path. Where is my sword of light? The St. Michael has a sword of light that discerns the light from the dark. He draws that just to make the discernment between that which is illusion and that which is truth, that which is true and that which is false. And of course, that's been taken out of context to a whole lot of directions we don't want to let's leave it just as it was a spiritual thing to help you have discernment over that which is illusion and that which has value and we'll leave it there no one needs a real sword in their hand go kill people not needed, <laughs> not needed. okay that's the acting out on the outside what is the reality on the inside you know change ourselves we can hopefully bring a better quality of life to those around us and that might bring a better quality of life to our society and then slowly, maybe in time, uh, we can have a positive effect.
you know, bring peace, bring compassion, bring healthy boundaries, bring firmness, clarity. You know? So beings, it depends on who you meet. You know? Yeah. It depends on what you meet and how you meet. But the answer is always the same. Master, you will say, breathe, breathe. Point the way to the light. Stay up there. Sing him. Help him go. Help him go to the light. You know, bow to the dark teacher that comes and says, thank you. You're part of my waking up. Yeah. Who are you and what are you here to teach? You're here to show me my fears? Okay. Now I need to see. I'm scared. What's scaring me? And then or am I like the Buddha to say, you too are illusion. You too are illusion. This too is illusion. It's a yeah. deep path. It's a deep journey, the hero's journey. And those who are interested in, and, and hoping to use entheogens and psychedelics as part of their journey need to understand it's a good, good thing to have the right set, the right setting that's going to feel right for the individual, hopefully licensed, hopefully um, working with really good maps, what we call cartography. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to familiarize themselves with beings? Like how would they go about identifying those beings? Mm -hmm. um, this is a really difficult question. <laughs> Um, first of all, first of all, how did you know that was your daughter when she walked in the room? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like that. Mm. It's like, as you encounter St. Michael, you're blown away because it's St. Michael. But those of us who have been walking with St. Michael by singing his hymns and, and you know, St. Gabriel and St. Raphael and those great archetypes of, of archangels who are known by different faces and different names around the world, but they're the same being, okay? When we encounter them, they blow us away. And at the same time, the more close we are to them, we recognize that they and I are one. The same way the drop in the ocean knows that it's one with the ocean but it isn't the whole ocean okay the drop in the ocean knows that what did Rumi say you are not the drop in an ocean you are the ocean in a drop <laughs> so when we get that thank you Rumi um, <laughs> when we get that those great teachings that he shares through his poetry when we really get that that I'm an ocean in a drop I'm a human being, yes, with my limitations and my personality, my shortcoming and my history and all that jazz that make me me. And at the same time, I'm connected to, I am one with, I'm connected to all of these other things. Then it's, beloved, I'm so happy to see you. And oh, thank you, dark being, because I know that you've volunteered mm. to take that role. You know that wonderful story of, I might have told it before on the last show, but it's so great, um, uh, of Mara and the Buddha who, you know, after enlightenment, they become friends and they have tea together. 
And Mara's always complaining and saying, you know, it's harder being me because everybody's scared of me and hates me. And I always have to be difficult and dark. You know, but it says, no, 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 no. You don't have it easy. I always have to be enlightened. <laughs> okay. I mean, compassionate. You know? So it brings it down to a completely different level. If we see that these dark beings are, they volunteered for that. In the Santo Daimi, there's under the queen of the forest under the divine feminine there's a phalange there's a legion of beings that have trickster energy and she gives them permission to work because their job is to wake us up by giving us a little trip like the, yeah. we talked about last time the rumble strip on the side of the highway and when we see it through a completely different perspective then we have a much deeper understanding of what the reality of all of that is. Now, some people, so you've asked me, how do you recognize beings? You recognize them because you remember them. There's a remembrance inside of you. There's a knowingness inside of you. And also it depends on who your teacher is, you know, because, you know, somebody in our church may come to me and they'll say, I met this being, and they start to describe, you know, in this last while, somebody started working with Sechi Fletches. Well, how did I know it was Sechi Fletches? Well, because I know Sechi Fletches. Can you describe Sechi Fletches? This is like, you know, name your best friend. And if I say, hey, I met this person on the plane, and their name was, what's your best friend's name? Frank. Okay. Yeah. There's Frank, and he's an accountant, and he lives in Hawaii. And you go, wait a minute, that's my Frank. Okay. So, it's like that. You work with people who know the beings. You train with the people who know the beings, so they introduce you to the beings, so you get to know the beings. And right. then when you are in the position where you start to, you're not an apprentice anymore, now you're becoming the teacher, okay? You recognize those beings and you remember those beings and because they carry a certain purpose and a certain energy and a certain vibration, certain colors and certain things, that they, how they show up. And, and 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 that's just how it is. It's like Strassman says, there's beings. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. encounter these beings, and these beings just don't come out of thin air. These beings are known often for thousands of years. People have been encountering them, you know? Well, we have just a couple of minutes before we say goodbye for today. Yeah. And I want to talk about the circle of wholeness. Yes, please. Section two or part two in volume two. And the circle of wholeness, what is it? I showed you up front for those of you who got on board this train um, <laughs> that we've been riding for the last uh, couple of hours. Um, you know, it, it, it includes all the aspects of, I was, I was kind of given some of these maps sitting drinking our sacrament, uh, sometimes in the forest uh, down in Brazil and other works. And I was just given, I was just shown in like 3D, okay, this diagram, I, I go home and I, you know, I come out of the work and I kind of draw it and I'd make notes on it and okay, file it away. And and so I was given this a circle of wholeness um, long before I came to the daimi. And I was using it as a teaching tool in, in the classes that I was teaching, you know, decades back. And, um, I'm trying to explain to people that to feel whole, we, we need to honor every part of our life. And that means finding balance, caring for our soul through meditation, prayer, quiet times, you know, connecting with nature, our relationships, first of all, with ourselves and then with others and with community, our relationship uh, with our work, our studies, our activities, our education, 
you know, and and then our community, our relationships with family and community, and everything here has its its you know our body how it's every chapter uh we we talk about time we talk about the body what the body's made up of and we talk about nutrition which is you know one of my first loves with spirituality was nutrition and so i i studied and researched and um for ages in that and that was all my early academic work and and um, and what I taught and shared for years is, is this love of, of the fascination of the human body and its relationship with, with its food source and with air and water and the land and the earth and with what we eat. And we forget that we're breathing and, you know, we're, we're these creatures that are in connection with everything all the time. The air we're breathing four days ago was in China. The winds brought it over. Okay. And so, you know, they find sand from the Sahara Desert deep at the bottom of the lagoons in the middle of Mexico. And that, that blew over, you know. So everything is is kind of connected. So we talk about the body and body wisdom and nutrition. We talk about sound and music and, and how to use, why sound is so important and singing and chanting and what kind of music we listen to and what it does to our bodies and our minds and our souls and light, how we use light, what's beneficial and what we how much we need natural sunlight. So, um, you know, and, and all the healthy ways that we can look at our relationships with people. And, and I, I do dive in because I did so much work with people for so many years in private practice about relationships and, and the regular little pitfalls that we can fall into and, and, and how to look at relationship and dynamics and how we're repeating the same story all the time and, and playing out the same script. You know, it's like most couples, for example, and families, they have maybe two or three scripts that they play out over and over again. You didn't clean up, and then blah, 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 the answer, and then blah, 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 and then blah, 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 and then blah, 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 and blah, 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 okay, and then out and slam the door. Okay, it's the same thing every time. Why are we doing this? Okay, gonna change that story. Gonna do this one differently, okay? Because it's gonna work better. It's really gonna work better, you know? So the circle of wholeness and, 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 and talking about all the different things that, that you know, we, we're in relationship every single, we're in relationship with our body for our entire lifetime. How, how are we treating it? I think it, we should consider our bodies our best friend. It does for us what no one else will do. And we need to take care of it. If we take care of it like a best friend, then it will serve us well. It's the first gift we received. Before we were born, body was being created and made in this mysterious and wonderful way. First gift we get, human life in a human body. So, well, it's been fun, George. <laughs> I'm blown away. Yeah, do you have any last questions? <laughs> I have like a million of them, but um, I, I guess I, I would, if I... In summation, I, I would ask one other question, and, and that is through through your you have gone through so many different um, methods of studying from different interfaith 
studies to studying, you know, in South America from teachers like Stanislav Grob. What is there something that you have found universal about the different teachers you've been with and the different lessons you've learned? Is there is there like this that this golden Ariadne thread that kind of weaves through all the different traditions and stuff that you know may not encompass everything, but maybe something that that threads everything together. Is there something that you can share with us that kind of runs through all the different things that you've learned? Authenticity. Authenticity. Yeah, there's a chapter on that. Attaining authenticity. Being fully authentic and um, being present in the moment. Uh, recognizing our limitations. Being able to say, and this is all about authenticity, being able to say, wow, that's really interesting. I don't know that. See, one of the pitfalls for teachers is people start thinking that we know everything. Oh, that's horrible. Don't put us <laughs> in that corner. Please don't. You know, um, <clears throat> even the greatest and, and, and most significant of teachers, um, um, they don't want to be put on a pedestal. Yeah. You know, There's so much to learn. Yeah. And so authentic simplicity, um, recognizing our limitations, recognizing our strengths. I think those are the qualities that I've seen and all the really good teachers that I've had. Those are the, those that, you know, and even, the, you know, the difficult teachers that I've had, they've been an important part of my learning. They're, they're what I call the fashion don't. Remember those magazines they used to have fashion yeah. do and fashion yeah. don't? I don't know if they still do that anymore. That's probably very un-PC. But anyway, um, you know, they're the fashion don't for me. They're that, mm, that's what that looks like. Okay. Mm. <laughs> No, I don't think I want to be doing that, you know, and, um, I, you know, and so it goes, you know, this is, and, and, and in all of that, it, 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 we're back to the four foundations, which is self-awareness, self-love, self-respect, self-responsibility. If we're doing our best to practice those things, then they will keep us on our path. And it's not so much the path as it is our path. And I like it. Travel alone. We may travel alone. We may travel with company. We may travel with community. And we all find we all find our way to be well in that. I realize I want to say one more thing that we yeah, jumped around yeah. with a bit, but we we're talking about mediumship and stuff. And I, the thing that concerns me possibly the most. From time to time, on a fairly regular basis, I am contacted with this being maybe in my private practice. Recently, it's more through other kind of my website or the church website or LinkedIn or whatever, all these different mediums. And people will contact me um, and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a medium, I'm a healer. I'm a, first of all, no one should be calling themselves that. No one should be calling themselves that. Jesus, if you asked him what he did, he says, I'm a carpenter right yeah people who work who really work um, in authenticity and simplicity um, know that it's it's not us that's doing it we're all we're doing is getting out of the way to the best of our ability to allow that to work through us and we have to be really careful because what happens a lot 
Jack Cornfields after the ecstasy, the laundry. Okay, excellent book. Um, Kylia Taylor, you know, The Ethics of Caring, excellent books on what happens when we allow all that to go to our ego in our head and puff up. This is the next thing we know, we are on the snakes and ladders of ethical issues. And we've taken a big snake down to the bottom. So um, the, that's a concern is people who call themselves, um, you know, mediums or healers, because then they are not recognizing that what I've learned is that there's an inner healer inside of everyone. Everyone has an inner, inner healer. It's inside of you. When you cut yourself, yes, you may need medical help. But the healing comes from within you. The medical help is just creating the best opportunity for the healing to happen. Mm. And it's the same on a spiritual and emotional and psychological level. Don't go giving your power to other people. Don't go trying to claim power that isn't yours. Stay a fisherman, a carpenter, a therapist. No, I'm just a therapist. I'm just a teacher. I'm an accountant. No, that's what I do. I'm just a person. The healing is inside of you. So that makes me nervous is people taking that title onto themselves. Um, the other thing that makes me nervous is people who think that, that the gift that they've been given through spirit means that they don't actually have to do any apprenticing. That they don't need a teacher. They don't need training. They don't need credentialing. They don't need to be an apprentice. No, I had this vision. You know, I took fill in the blank three times, five times, once, whatever it is, a hundred times, and now I'm this, and now I'm going to heal everybody else. That that concerns me. That really concerns me. You know why, George? Because they haven't, they don't understand about boundaries. They haven't learned about ethics. They they haven't understood, they haven't learned about the cartography of the human, and they haven't understood and learned about the cartography. They haven't had the, the simplicity and the humility to say, okay, I think I need to when I started having some profound um, experiences that just ripped open, I said to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm now working. I'm now seeing stuff and working stuff that I don't know. And I don't know how I'm knowing this. So I need to get myself into a training where I, I need to find people I can train with, where I know I can learn how to work with these things. And that's what projectile me into psychosynthesis and then to Stan Groff. And only then was I ready to go to the Santo Dime. They marinated me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word for that. <laughs> now you can go to the oven. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's been it's, fun. Thank you I love so it. much. Thank you so much. It's been great. And go goodbye to everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Good, good morning and good afternoon, wherever you are on the planet. And um, thank you so much, George. It's been the pleasure is all mine, Dr. Jessica. I hope everybody enjoyed this as much as I did. And I really hope everyone – do you have the book there? Can you show it one more time for people that are watching? For everybody watching and listening to this, here's what the book looks like if you're watching. If you're just listening, the book is called Ayahuasca Awakenings. It's by Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester. It's well worth your while. It's it's a guidebook. It's not a novel. But it is something that you can you can find yourself turning back to and learning and and enjoying and participating in. So thank you so much for your time, Doctor Jessica. And I will uh, I will get the information to you. And um, where can people find you? And what do you got coming up? And what are you excited about? Okay, 
people can find me on my website, www.rev, just, just like it is on my name right here. So it's Rev Doctor, just like that, jessicarochester.com. And uh, you can find me there. I have a lot of um, videos and things, um, publications up. Um, they are free. They are for educational purposes. I'm happy to share them. And uh, so anybody interested in more information, go there. The only thing I don't want people doing is trying to use me as kind of a shortcut into our church. Please don't. www.santodaimi.ca. That's our church. And if you're interested in more information, please read everything on the website first. There's a lot of information there. And we are a spiritual center. We are not a clinic. We do not offer therapeutic um, sessions at all. We sing, we pray. We meditate, and um, good luck to everybody out there. That's it. That's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Doctor, I, I love it. Thank you so much for your taking a moment to hang out with me in the true life podcast i truly appreciate it if you're taking some time to listen to this whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way i truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart additionally i would like to try to inspire everyone the world is a crazy place and if you listen to your heart and you take some chances 
I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.